Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life with the advisors from Foster and Motley. In this podcast, they share their mission to help individuals, couples, and families achieve the life they envision by providing a comprehensive wealth management experience. Join this seasoned team of experts as they explore actionable steps to improve your financial well-being and answer your most pressing questions. Charitable giving can be done for any number of reasons, some altruistic and some rooted in the age-old question, what can I get out of this? Well, whatever your reason, you still have to decide what you will give and how you will give it. To discuss a variety of options, Foster and Motley's Tony Luckhart and Rachel Rasmussen are with me, Patrice Socorro. Tony's a financial planner. Rachel is an investment manager. And it's great to be talking to the two of you again. It's been too long. We got to do this more often. You too, Patrice. <laughs> Good to talk to you. Well, Tony, I'm going to give you the first question. What seem to be the reasons that people decide to make charitable gifts? Patrice, that's a great question. People give for lots of different reasons. People give oftentimes to religious affiliations. It's just kind of part of what they do. And whether it's your church, your synagogue, or whatever it may be. Another reason that people give is causes that mean something to them, whether it's a person you've lost in your life or some, some interaction or some event in your life that uh, was meaningful to you that you then are connected to that cause or charity for some sort of reason. We've had, uh, unfortunately, you had a colleague pass sometime last year and he was very involved. He was an Evans scholar, which is, has to do with underprivileged kids that get scholarships based on caddies that are golf caddies that get scholarships to college. And we were fortunate enough after his passing to set up a scholarship um, fund on his behalf. So it was just something neat. It was a cause that that was really near and dear to us or near near and dear to him and something that we could honor his memory by doing. So things like that are really neat and cool. And oftentimes it's a lot of people give because it makes them feel good and people can give monetary values or they can give in different ways by giving of their time in, in, in a lot of different ways, whether it's mm-hmm. building awareness around an issue or assisting with a fundraising event or you know volunteering on a board all the way to weeding a garden or you know volunteering to uh, clean up a, a street or something like that. So lots of reasons that people give in a lot of different ways. And just to make a point too, it doesn't have to be money, as you said, the, what you get out of it, of the interaction with people that maybe you would never have met before, parts of society that you just wouldn't normally interact with. And you gain so much when you volunteer. You really do when you give. So and now that's you, a lot more fun than writing a check, I think. <laughs> I think you know, it is. You know? and, and it, I think you're you got skin in the game, so to speak. You're in there. You're actually doing it. The time, money is great. Time is even more precious sometimes. Our two most valuable commodities, time and money. Yes. All right. So we've decided to give money. How do you do that? You just write a check or what do you do? Well, it's a question of who do you want to give to or what do you want to give to? Perhaps you've already identified a specific charity Sometimes you just, you already know the amount, you already know the cause, you already know who you're going to write this check to, say it's a tithe for a church or something like that. 
Other times you may want to do some research and there are some great resources out there. You can look on the web and one great site that we've recommended to clients before is Charity Navigator. And Charity Navigator looks at many 5013C, meaning recognized by the IRS as a charity. It looks at these organizations and it scores them based on transparency, how financially responsible they are, and how much of their funds that they receive either go to the programs themselves or to administrative overhead. So that could be of interest to a donor. I think that's a good place to start. I think that's a really good point too. How much money actually goes to the programs? Exactly. And this site here, Charity Navigator, is a good way to do that original this research, so to speak. Other organizations like locally, we have the Greater Cincinnati Foundation. They are community-based organizations and they have them across the country. But what those sort of roles for GCF, for example, they fulfill is connecting donors to causes that would speak to them. So they meet with donors. They know all of these organizations that are across our region, and they try to match donors with causes that may be of interest to them. So they play matchmaker. And I think they do a really nice job. So that's one way to help identify something that may be of interest to you. Rachel, you volunteer. Tell me about that. Well, one of the ways that I've looked at what organizations do I want to give to, whether it's time or money, is through volunteering as a grant writer or grant reviewer, so to, in other words. Mm-hmm. So a grant reviewer gets the opportunity, these organizations collect, like GCF, for example, they have a fund called um, the Women's Fund. There's also another organization locally called Impact 100 that I'm involved in. And they collect these grant proposals from many small organizations. And I get to review these and I get to look at what is this organization about? Why are they asking for money? What are they going to do with this money? How are they going to be fiscally responsible? And throughout that process, you really get to know things that you never would have heard about up until that point. So I've learned about a lot of different awesome work that people in our community are doing and never would have heard about that had it not been for this grant review process. Foster and Motley, how do they get involved in this process? How can they help? Yeah, we kind of get involved from the very beginning and throughout. So from the very beginning on our on, as part of our onboarding process, one of the conversations, one of the questions we talk about is your charitable giving, their charitable goals. So getting an idea of what they're doing currently and how they're doing that. So that's the beginning part. And then depending upon what they're currently doing, then we can help them identify the best ways to do that. There's different ways, more tax efficient, less tax efficient ways to do that. One of the things we work with clients on is to help them establish a, a, a charitable giving budget so that it makes their charitable giving somewhat predictable. And by making it predictable, as far as allocating a certain amount, we can then be strategic in regards to uh, how to give in the most tax efficient ways possible. So that's where the kind of helping them identify what they're currently doing, help them identify those budgets, and then help them identify 
the most efficient way for them to do that allows them to accomplish their goals. And I think we have a, an article we could even link in the show notes, which is how to evaluate a charity and kind of outlines how we help in that process. That would be great. So that will be in the show notes of this to all our listeners. You can just go to the description and uh, get that link. Now, Tony, you mentioned tax implications here. Right. Can giving help taxes or can it be just a conundrum? Yes, certainly giving can help taxes, but taxes aren't the main reason to give. So some clients will say, well, I want to, should I give more to help my taxes? And I always recircle back to around to, do you want to give more? Because taxes are not the reason, they're the incentive. Assuming you itemize, you can deduct a portion of what you give away, right? So for example, if you gave $1,000 to charity, and you're in a 25% marginal tax bracket, you can deduct 25% or $250 off of your tax return. You're still giving away $750, but you gave away a thousand, it only cost you $750. So that's the incentive. It, it, the charitable intent needs to be there first, right? as right. opposed to the taxes. So a thousand dollars doesn't maybe sound like a lot, but it can mean a lot. Yeah. Multiply that by 10X and right. $10,000. And you know, that's a $2,500 deduction on your taxes is, is helpful in some way, yeah, tell especially me about if you're gifting already. And tell me about this bunching gifts. Yeah. So bunching is the concept of taking multiple years of gifting and combining them into one year. And the main reason to get that, to do that is to get the tax benefit. So with the new standard deduction, which is now $25,000, that's a higher kind of hurdle to get over to itemize. So for instance, let's say that you're deducting $10,000 of taxes. So you're maxing out on how much you can deduct on taxes and you're giving $10,000 to charity. Well, the combination of those two is $20,000. Your standard deduction is 25. So in essence, you're getting no tax credit for giving $10,000 to charity. So the concept of bunching is to combine a bunch of those $10,000 gifts into one year. So for instance, maybe you do three years or $30,000 year, $30, of charitable gifting into one year. Taxes is 10, $30,000 of charitable gifts is 30. So a combination of $40,000 deductions compared to the $25,000 standard, you're able to take a, a real tax deduction of $15,000 in excess over that, over the standard deduction. And that really, that strategy conceptually works well. And if you don't, you're depending upon how much you're giving per year to get over those limits. And then it also makes sense in high income years. If you have a year in which you exercise a bunch of stock options or you have some significant gains or IRA distributions, you can then bunch some of those charitable giving, some of those charitable gifts into a single year. And that's really makes sure you're gifting a lot more effective. Okay. So we're talking here about, about money, really. What are some of the ways you can give? I mean, there is cash, right, Rachel? So the, that's the simplest way to give. I write a check, I put it $25 on my credit card and I 
you know, send it off to the charity and you can do it right on their website. That's a really easy way to give. We think that makes a lot of sense for small gifts just because it's simple. You can give in other ways that could be even And let me, more- can, can I oh, add yeah, one thing to that, sure. Rachel? Yeah. It's also tactile. So for some people, it's the, they're putting, they're writing a check or they're putting money into the offering uh, plate mm-hmm. and that tactile um, aspect of that, that cash giving is important. I had a client that wanted to give in other ways and they tried it for a year and they didn't get the same satisfaction of their charitable gifting because the offering plate went around and they didn't get to put the money in and didn't make them feel good. So we backed off that and said, let's not do this thing the other way that is more tax efficient because you're not getting the same value or benefit out of it. So we went back to cash giving. You're exactly right, Tony. It's just, it's how you feel when you do the gift and that's important too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what else? We've got cash that just feels really good to give, but there are other ways too. Cash is the first way. Another way is to give appreciated securities. And by that, I mean investments that have gone up since you purchased them. And they are over one year since you've purchased them. So they're long-term and that's key as well. So by giving appreciated investments, securities, you get to give the entire value of the gift as opposed to I sell the investment for cash, and then I owe tax on the appreciation in the form of capital gains. If you give the stock directly to a 5013C organization, a charity directly, then they get to avoid the capital gain altogether. So it just magnifies your gift because it is before tax. So that's a really nice way to get a benefit of no capital gains on the sale. And you also can claim the deduction for the total value of the securities that you gifted. So it's win-win. Of course, like I said, it must be long-term. That's important. And there's an additional complication here, which I'll leave it to the financial planner to explain. <laughs> <laughs> Not to get too nerdy, but you have to your charitable gifting it. You cannot deduct more than thirty percent of your adjusted gross income, your income before deduction. So, for instance, if you gave a hundred thousand dollars, if you had a hundred thousand dollars of income and you gave thirty five thousand dollars to charity, you could deduct thirty thousand. of your AGI, 30% of your income. That other $5,000 kind of carries forward into the up to five years into the future to be deducted in the future. So not lost, just deferred to another date. So something to keep in mind as you think about charitable gifting and and those limits. So that just takes some planning. That's all. Takes some planning, takes some coordination and organization. And that's where we come in. We help with that. (laughs) (laughs) We're very good at that stuff. All right. The next one here. Qualified charitable distributions. And we love this option. It's for folks who have required distributions, minimum distributions from their IRA. They are either 70 or now 72 who are subject to those requirements. They can gift directly from their IRA to a tax qualified charity. So in other words, we can write checks from the IRA and pay it to the charity. And by doing so, you don't have to take the income 
the money out of the IRA, which becomes ordinary income and therefore taxable. Mm -hmm. You get to give that money tax-free because these IRAs have been, um, the dollars have gone in tax-free and then they have grown over time. So you're basically giving tax-free money that has grown over time. And at the end, you give it away to a qualified charity with no tax implication because you're writing it directly from the IRA. So we have clients that we give them a little checkbook. We keep track of what they give. It's a really nice tool because they can feel like they're giving cash, but they also get that tax benefit as well. Is there a maximum here that you can give? Yeah, the, the maximum is $100,000 per year that you can give. And the great part about this strategy is if you're not going to itemize your deductions, you'd get no kind of tax credit like we talked about before. If you don't need to itemize to take this. So for people that are taking the standard deduction, okay, they get this money out of their IRA account completely tax-free. So if they gave $10,000 to charity from their IRA account, that's $10,000 that doesn't hit their income that otherwise they'd have to pay taxes on. So it is hugely beneficial for folks that are uh, taking the standard deduction. And that they did change the required IRA distribution rules, how much you have to take out of your IRA account each year when you need to start doing that. It used to be 70 and a half. They changed that to 72. The IRA deduction that we're talking about is still eligible for people that are 70 and a half though. So even though you don't need to take money out until age 72, you can still take money out of your IRA account at age 70 and a half. Okay. My head is almost about to explode. Oh boy. Because, because I'm trying to keep all these things straight. In Individually, they seem pretty simple, but there's this caveat. Now tell me about those strategies that have a lot more caveats. <laughs> Yeah, so there's some more complex strategies that are we don't want to get too deep into. But you know, if you have a a closely held business or some highly appreciated properties or things like that, there are some different strategies that can be utilized to give those assets to charity and, and sidestep the capital gains on those. So those are things that we can talk about on a kind of a one-off basis. Okay, great. So listeners, dear listeners, if you really want to get into the weeds here. Call Foster and Motley. They can help you. <laughs> All right. Now, donor-advised funds. I understand this is really, this can be a, a way for someone with a greater amount of wealth to really go. It's not that difficult. Yeah, donor-advised funds are really cool because you get to put money into this fund. And I think of this fund as a conduit. It's a, you put the money into the donor-advised fund and then you get the tax deduction in the year in which you put the money into the donor advice fund. But now this is a fund and you're just suggesting where it goes. Right. So once the money's in there, you've cut the ties. You to yeah. to be considered a completed gift for tax deduction purposes, it's a you cut the ties. But you then get to make recommendations or suggestions to those end charities. So again, it's a conduit in some way that you put the money in, you get the tax deduction in the current year. It's up then up to you to decide how quickly or how slowly to give the money to the end charity, to make the recommendations to mm -hmm. the end charity. 
So you could put, let's say you put $30,000 into the donor advised fund. You do that maybe as a part of a bunching strategy in which you want to multiple, you want to put multiple years of gifting into the donor advice fund. And you, you give $10,000 out per year for the next three years, but you're taking that $30,000 deduction okay. in the current year. Okay. And it works really great for what we were talking about before, appreciated securities, because some charities they don't want $1,000 of P&G stock or XYZ stock, right? They can't deal with that easily or well. You can give $1,000 into the donor advised fund. Once it hits the donor advised fund, it's automatically sold to cash. Okay. And then you can give cash distributions to that end charity. So it makes a really great way to, to that end charity to get cash as opposed to securities that they may have a more difficult time dealing with. And Tony, that, that makes sense as well from a portfolio management standpoint, because over time in a portfolio, you can get certain investments that get, get overweight because they've performed really well. And so we can target those investments that we would like to sell, but for the tax implications and highlight those for gifts to the donor advised fund, reduce that exposure to that particular investment in the portfolio but also meet the charitable goal as well. Makes sense to me. Yeah. The other cool piece of that is that you can give anonymously. So through this donor advised fund, it can you can label it whatever you want it to be. So it can be the the Tony Luckhart charitable fund. You can make it sound prestigious. You can make it sound whatever you want it to sound, or it can be completely anonymous. So it's entirely up to you on how you want to do that. And the other cool part is that Maybe you don't want to give $1,000 to charity. You want to give $200 to charity. Well, to give $200 of XYZ stock, it may be a half a share, which is not doable. But you could give $1,000 to the donor advised fund. Again, it gets sold to cash. And then you give $200 to that end charity as, as cash to five different charities. So it works really well administratively as well. You mentioned doing this anonymously. Do you have many people that do that? We do have some individuals who just say, well, I want to give to the nature center or the, I don't know, some pet shelter. And they just don't want people to know who they are. They just give because they want to give. And maybe they don't want to start receiving a bunch of letters at their house either. That could be a reason. That could very well be a reason. Yes. That's good marketing on the part of the charity though. Indeed. All right. Now there's another article that uh, maybe we should mention and put a link in. Oh yeah. That, Tony wrote this one. So he's getting to be an expert ah. on this particular subject. The hierarchy of charitable giving. If you decide you want to give, what are the best ways in which you can go about that? And that's where we come in. You know, we can't, like Tony said before, we can't tell people how much to give, whether they should give where they should give, that comes from them and their goals. Our job is just to have that discussion with them. But where we can help is what's the best way to do that and to be able to maximize the value of the gift, not only to the charity, but to you by minimizing taxes and to do it in the most efficient way possible. All right. You just mentioned doing this for some time, a lifetime, maybe you want to do this, or maybe you want it to go beyond. Tell me the difference between lifetime and legacy gifts. Yeah, so we have some clients that, you know, are very charitable, 
but maybe not as charitable during their lifetime for one reason or another. But they want to give a significant portion of their estate or a small portion of their estate to, to, to a charity at the end of their life. And the that's pretty cool to do. I mean, there's one of the great ways to do that is to leave a piece of your IRA. Because if you leave that IRA to your kids or your heirs, they have to pay income tax as they receive the money out of their IRA, but the charity doesn't. So you can peel off. You have to do it as a percentage. You could say, oh, I want 98% of my IRA to go to my kids, but I want 2% or 10% or 50% to go to charity. And at the end of your life, the charity gets that IRA account and it goes completely tax-free. Other assets, appreciated securities, as the law is currently written, get a step up in basis upon the passing. So the, the kids get the assets that they can sell the next day without any tax implication. And the IRA gets the tax kind of ridden, excuse me, the charitable uh, organization gets the tax ridden asset that doesn't matter to them because they're a charitable organization. So it works really well in that way. And I've got some clients that they've, they've not identified which charities. I've got some clients that want to give a large percentage of their estate to charity, uh, 50% of their estate. And they've identified some charities that they want to give that 50% to, but not all those charities. So there's different ways that they can name a donor advised fund for that additional percentage so that the donor advised fund then gets that those IRA assets upon their passing. And then they can decide how to gift it out in the end. They can have their kids decide who the end charity is. They can leave it to a community foundation that can go to a general fund and let the the community foundation decide how those assets are best served to be spent in the community, right. or they can go so far as to name specific causes like a wildlife thing or a disaster relief or a, a women's fund, certain causes that they feel strongly about, but haven't identified the specific charities. So there's some cool ways to do that upon your passing. And, and legacy gifts are nice too, as opposed to the lifetime gifts, which they have their own benefit, but it leaves the control of the assets in your hands. And once you give the money to a donor advised fund or give it to a charity, it's gone. If you wait to gift in upon your passing, then you still have access to that money. So that kind of is a protection against running out. So that's just another way to fulfill a charitable goal without giving up the control of the assets in the meantime. Do you have many cases where the second generation comes in and agrees with what the first generation wants, and then they will carry things on in a legacy way? I guess in, in some way, it, it, we have conversations with multiple generations as part of kind of overall planning and estate planning. Sometimes it becomes a conversation that the kids buy into. Sometimes it's a conversation where the, the parents don't really care. <laughs> this is the way we're doing it and this is the way it's going to be. So they can go all different directions. I'm just curious on how many families actually do this together. Yeah, it's a mixed bag. Some people are very coordinated and open with these types of conversations. Some families aren't as much and it just all depends. 
And we're happy to offer to be a facilitator, just lay out, here's how it currently stands. Here's how this would work. Sometimes it's nice to have a mediator for those conversations. When family's involved, yes. And I know if we've done a podcast on kind of family meetings and things, estate planning and family meetings, that, that kind of gets into some of those details. But yeah, we certainly offer those to our clients to open as much as the, of their estate plan as they'd like. And we can talk about specific numbers or we can talk about just the general philosophy or layout of how their plan works so that the whole family has a buy-in and understanding of how the plan's going to work at the end. And generally, we recommend that it, it makes sense to communicate those things so there's no surprises. How can listeners reach you if they are thinking about setting up some kind of charitable giving? You can check out our website, www.fosterandmotley.com, or give us a call at 513-561-6640. So as you've heard, charitable giving is not difficult. It can be done in any number of ways, as Tony Lockhart and Rachel Rasmussen have outlined in this episode of Foster and Motley's podcast about wealth and life. Subscribe to make sure you hear every show and share and please offer your comments as well. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content, including mention of specific investments or planning techniques, is for informational and for educational purposes only. It is not intended as a recommendation or a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.